You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have uh, Kevin Poilek. He's uh, the General Manager, North America, and VP Business Development at Sophia Genetics. It's spelled uh, S-O-P-H-I-A Genetics. So, Kevin, thanks for coming. How are you doing today? Pleasure. Pleasure. Very nice. How are you, Richard? Good, good. Yeah, when I hear the name Sophia, I think of that uh, AI robot, but I guess uh, this Sophia Genetics is different, right? <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, Sophia, actually, originally Sophia in, in ancient Greek used to mean wisdom. Um, and so mm. that, that's where the name really, really comes from. Um, oh, okay. So what's the premise of Sophia Genetics? What do you guys do there? Sophia is offering a software as a service platform to democratize data-driven medicine. So we have a few applications in a few different areas, and I'd say one, our flagship area is, is in genomics. Today, we've connected a bit more than 900 institutions around the world, nearly 1,000 institutions that are sharing um, their genomic uh, profiles across the platform. So it means that an institution here in Boston is able to see when they're analyzing a profile, how their profile compares to an institu- to a profile that might have been seen in an institution in Buenos Aires or in or in Austin in or in or in Paris. So we're we're really building a, a software as a service platform to be able to access a global intelligence. Yeah, that's great because I know various companies are trying to get a critical mass of, you know, let's say a hundred thousand people sequenced or fifty thousand and so you're connecting all these platforms. How, what does that mean? How many um, sequences are available in the total pool? Yeah. Today we've um, we've looked at about a bit more than 300,000 profiles on a monthly basis. We see about 15,000 profiles um, that are being being analyzed through the platform. So this is probably one one of the largest consortium of, of institutions looking looking at patients at the moment. More patients are being diagnosed on a monthly basis than players like uh, like Foundation Medicine that are quite quite well known in, in this field as well. Your platform, um, again, it's able to pull data from many separate platforms, but what kind of analytical tools are layered on top of that that mm-hmm. is unique to you yeah. or is, there, is, is your role just the aggregation or what else do you do? Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. When you want to leverage on AI, it's very important to have very clean data and very structured data. So when you look into into genomic information, very often there is a lot of noise into that data. 
So whenever we work with a new um, a new institution, a new a new lab that is doing clinical research, we'll go through a setup program with that lab that is quite extensive, where we'll establish the performance of that particular lab, and we will tailor our pipelines to the actual data that is generated by that platform or by that by that institution based on reagents that they might be using or um, diseases that they might be looking into. So we standardize the way the data is generated across those different labs, across those different institutions, and that allows us to, to share that data. It allows people to look at, at data coming from a variety of places and, and being very comparable. Um, and, only, mm. and only because of that, we can, we can build tools on that data. And so one, one of the tools that we've built is our AI is seeing how people are interacting with that data. He's seeing, okay, well, certain variants are classified as benign, some variants are classified as pathogenic, and from there is, um, is learning how to pre-classify similar type of variants. Um, so it will, it will suggest, okay, well, maybe those variants um, are more likely to be pathogenic and those variants are more likely to be benign. It makes it very easy for the user to test, uh, to test additional profiles. Are you just looking at human genome, or are you looking at viruses or other creatures? It's a it's a good question. Yeah, we we look only at uh, at humans um, at at the moment, and, and really focus on, on on the clinical research space. Yeah, because if you're able to establish uh, data standardization, and you're aggregating it from many sources, some other company or some other effort could take that and do the same thing for viruses or for plants or for whatever else they want to catalog. And you'd have all the infrastructure set up for them to do that, probably much better than they are right now. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I think what is what is essential when when we're looking at at humors, and in particular to, today we do many 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 cancer uh, samples. You you want to be able to find an answer for each and every profile. Whereas when you're looking at plants or when you're doing research, coming to um, to a solution is not is not as essential. Um, you might be able to look with another plant, or you know, there's the the, the stakes are not as high as um, as when you when you're looking at a cancer sample, and you want to make sure that you're finding the causative mutations, and as such, to be able to recommend certain treatments for that patient. What are some interesting correlations or findings that you're seeing in the data because you have access to so much of it? So. Um, one of the interesting uh, things we we saw with when we were observing um, this uh, how how our AI was growing is that in particular uh, diseases, for example, in hereditary cancer, we realized that after we had seen thirty thousand samples, our our AI was ninety eight percent as good as uh, a human doing the preclassification. So it means that it's it's saving people a lot of time for the routine cases so, and letting them focus more on uh, on difficult cases. Okay, so you, all right, so 98% in determining what? In, in determining sequ- that a particular sequence would, would be pathogenic um, in a particular sample. Oh, okay. So you're looking just at uh, the genome or you're looking at, um, you know, I mean, you're looking at DNA or RNA or you're looking at proteins or, you know, yeah. molecules yeah. or what are you looking at? Yeah. 
So we're really there to offer tools um, for whatever labs are using at the moment, for whatever is established in the field. And so what we're seeing is that DNA is very prevalent. Um, so there's, there's a lot of DNA testing. RNA is starting. We see quite a few labs starting to look at, uh, at fusions and inversions with, uh, with RNA. And so we've, we've mostly been focusing on, uh, on those two applications. Okay. Um, all right. So you're able to tell, again, if uh, a certain you know, gene is associated with cancer, if it's an oncogene, I guess. And, um, what, what kind of insights with the RNA? Any other uh, insights you're getting? Yeah. So I, I think in, in cancer, so we have, we have two main in the genomic space. We, you can look at um, Mendelian disorders or hereditary disorders or, or oncology. In, uh, in oncology, we're, we're going to associate certain treatments. Uh, we will be able to associate certain clinical trials. We will be able to, to give certain, uh, some prognostic information based on, um, on the variety of mutations that we'll find in, in the profiles, be them from, from DNA or from, or from RNA. And if we, if we look into Mendelian disorders, um, there we'll be able to see, okay, well, this is the causative mutation. Um, this is most likely the disease that the patient is suffering from based on uh, the genetic profiling that was done for, for that particular patient. Yeah. Okay, what about taking it further, though? I mean, does this tell you or give you any insights into how to assist with drug discovery or how to find um, you know, immunotherapies or other kinds of therapies for cancer? So, yeah, def definitely therapies it, w it will recommend. Today we haven't we haven't done much uh, with respect to drug discovery. Uh, it's been mostly used really in the clinical research space that are they are mostly um, trying to diagnose um, certain certain samples immediately, right? Rather than than doing retrospective studies. Okay. So what's what are some of the goals for the next year or two? Do you want to get to a million genomes on file, or what, what's the big goal? Yeah. So as I mentioned, our flagship area is genomics, but we, we started now about six months ago. We, we started to invest significantly in radiomics, where we do the analysis of radiology images, um, and we, we invest significantly in, um, in what we call trial matching. And so all of this is in line with our long-term vision of, of building data-driven medicine and of finding as many sources of data as possible about that characterize a particular patient so that you can say, okay, well, this, um, this profile looks like so many other profiles we've seen around the world. Let's, if we make it more, more tangible, this profile looks like 50,000 other profiles we've seen that are very similar, a cluster, and out of that, that cluster, 30% have had treatment combination A and B with outcome X, 40% have had treatment combination C and D with outcome Y. And so the oncologist has a lot more data in hand to be able to give a very precise uh, recommendation with, uh, with outcomes. So um, any surprises about the prevalence of certain cancers or other conditions? I think um, at this stage of development, we we reflect quite well what it, what is the prevalence of of different cancer types around the world. So no particular surprises, I'd say. Um, I'd, I'd say there. No. Oh, so the prevalence of certain conditions does it seem to follow any pattern by country or by age or gender, or are you seeing those those skews in any of the conditions you're looking at? 
To be honest, I don't know. It, we're quite sensitive to the way we use the data that that is being analyzed through the platform. Um, the, so we're originally a Swiss company based in based in Lausanne. Uh, we've now headquarters in Boston as well. And so the, the data privacy is uh, is very important to us. So we, we can only use the data that is being shared through the platform for certain very well-defined goals. And so we, we haven't done that many that many studies of, of that kind. Okay. So again, what what is the uh, the goal over the next year or two? Where you want to take things? So we're we're seeing a phenomenal growth as the at the moment. Uh, we're we're now seeing about fifteen thousand patients a month, and we're seeing that number grow at least fifty percent every every six months. So today we're really trying to onboard as many institutions as possible to participate in uh, in this effort because. The, if you look at Mendelian disorders, the diseases that we're studying are very rare, and so you need a very large set of profiles that are being shared across the, the community if you wanna if you wanna infer something something smart for the particular uh, profile you're looking at at the moment. So today we're really in a phase where we're onboarding institutions and making um, making the community grow. Any learnings that you're getting about the need to standardize data? Are you, you know, are you talking to companies that actually do the collection of the DNA and saying, hey, you know, don't forget to do this or to test that or to add this in, so that the standardization is easier or more complete? Yeah, it's a very good question because it's something that is really underestimated in uh, in this industry, but I feel in most industries that are, that are speaking about uh, about big data and about about data collection. Um, pe- people don't don't realize how important it is to have to have standard and very clean data to be shared. So I think the way the way we've grown is by being exposed to a variety of institutions that were all giving us or had their own experience, and so we shared that experience from all our users across the community in terms of how to how to generate the cleanest data. And, and today, during our setup program, this is one of the essential parts of, of what we do is in making recommendations to um, to our users into how they can tweak um, their lab to get the optimal data. If we speak about genomics, but but in a similar way about in um, in, in radiomics, where di- different users are looking at the same. Um, images from the same patients over time and not always structuring the data in similar ways. So it's very important to have tools that that structure um, the data that make sure that they extract the tumor in a similar way for that same patient over time, no matter who is uh, is looking at the image, so that that data can then be, be compared and so that you can have some, some intelligent findings on, on those images. I would think as it relates to images, I mean, I've spoken to a few companies that are, you know, increasing the um, the quality of the images, the resolution, et cetera. Do you keep tabs on, you know, again, you're getting data, but the quality and the nature of that data may change over time. And maybe if you, yeah. communi- you know, I'm sure you are, but if you communicate with some or all the data providers, you'll find yeah. ones out there that are advancing in certain ways. Maybe there's a new compression algorithm for it or again, a higher resolution for an MRI or something? Yeah. So in genomics, which is a field where we've been now for, for a few years, we have very close discussions with um, with some of the large reagent manufacturers, and we have partnerships with many with many of them where we're feeding back some of that information, some 
some of the knowledge we gain in standardizing the data across so many labs. In radiology, we're having those discussions with large imaging uh, providers. We try both in genomics and in radiomics to start from uh, from the raw data, so to not to not have too many layers between us and um, and the actual instruments. But we haven't. It's it's a very um, the the fields are moving at a different speed in terms of the machines that are generating the data between genomics and uh, and radiomics. So we haven't had that much influence in uh, in the radiology. Uh, still yet in, in making sure the, the MRIs or CT scans are, are evolving in ways that would make it easier to standardize the data. Yeah, I just figured if anyone's going to see it first, it would probably be yeah. you. Because, yeah, you know, yeah. again, you're connected to all these uh, places that are doing this imaging. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's something it's something we should be we should be exploring uh, in, in radiology. Okay. Well, very good. So what's the best way for people to learn more about Sophia Genetics? So we have a, a nice website, it's uh, genetics.com so S-O-P-H-I-A-Genetics.com, uh, where you'll find, um, you'll find a lot of information. And from there, you can ask for us to, to reach out as well for, uh, for a chat, or we're in, in most conferences um, around, the, around genomics or, or oncology, both nationally, but also, also internationally. We now have users, I think, in, in over 70 countries. So um, with a presence that uh, that reflects that reflects that as well. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Kevin, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Richard. Have um, have a good afternoon. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.